the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to this very special bonus, 150th episode edition of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I thought I would treat you, nay tease you with our 150th episode by not putting out on a Tuesday as normal but putting it out on a Friday. That's because I was offered the fantastic director and writer Alejandro Landes who made the absolute delightful feature film, Monos. You will have seen these posters around. You will have heard of this film. If you're an indie filmmaker, if you're a filmmaker of any sort, you know about this film. It's award-winning. It's incredible. It is his third feature film, and he has smashed it. And I was lucky enough to be offered 25 minutes with him, and I thought, well, if I'm going to be offered that, I'm going to put it out as a special for our 150th episode. Alejandro's Monos is a survivalist saga. It's thought-provoking and it's unsettling, uh, all about human nature and it's a Sundance hit. We talk about how he wrote it, how he raised the finance but yet shot it without all the finance in place, how he found his young cast and how it felt to win big at Sundance. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director and a producer. And uh, my latest feature that I produced, A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, is available now on your Sky Store and in certain screenings. Not only can you get it on VOD as well, but there is cinema screenings around. Go to aserialkillersguidetolife.com and you will see where we are screening next. And my feature, which I directed and co-wrote with Johnny Grant, is available in the US from March the 3rd. And on the big film site Collider, they dropped the brand new US trailer recently. And Dread Central have just dropped a clip of Richard Brake and Mitchell Norman doing a scene together. Brand new posters are around as well. And as soon, and I'm delighted to tell you, the pre-order link is now available. Yes. Finally, we have it. Go take a look, if nothing else. Link is in the show notes. Oh my gosh, super exciting. It is now literally a week and a half from release, March the 3rd. Please set your calendars. I cannot wait to get this out into the world. We have been getting some really nice reviews so far. I mean, like, really cool. Like, the horror crowd seem to be embracing it, and that means the world to me. Um, so, yeah, some absolutely fantastic quotes so far. So look out for that. Go onto my Twitter, at Giles Alderson, or at Filmmakerspot, or follow the film at The Dare Film on Twitter or on Instagram as well at The Dare Movie so do follow us and see what we're up to and see me in LA because I'm sure I'll be videoing from there uh, for the release itself this episode is brought to you by the good people at ScreenCraft if you're looking for the best screenplay contest to connect you with Hollywood executives then this is the one for you I really recommend ScreenCraft because uh, they handpick literary managers, they handpick agents and producers that are right for your project, that are right for the winning screenwriters. So if you have something amazing that you've written, that you really believe in, and you can't get 
people aren't then just people aren't just opening the doors for you then go to screencraft.org and put your film in there's a fellowship going at the moment which really helps filmmakers as well they'll even fly you to LA and set up meetings for you so apply you have nothing to lose whether you've got a sci-fi a horror a comedy a fantasy a short a pilot whatever it is go to screencraft.org and get your screenplays in so how are you getting on with your films at the moment what's happening are you inspired to go out there and make your film you listen to this podcast and going yeah okay this is great i'm getting so much information thank you and then not knowing what to do with it so you need to think positively you need to think further than that if you've got a screenplay you're halfway through don't give up on it don't stop if you really believe in it in your heart then get it made get it written think about it really go to your soul and what do you want to do in your life and if you're not doing what you want to do then change it change it up and make it happen for you and you can go out there and make your film. It's so important. Let's say you've got your script now. What do you do with it next? You go, well, I've, I've sent it to a few people and no one's really interested. Yeah, because it's harder to raise money for features at the moment. Do you turn it into a TV pilot? Oh, my God, that's a lot of work, too. It took me ages to write it in the first place. Why don't you help yourself? Why don't you make a brilliant lookbook? You don't have to be brilliant at Photoshop. But you can certainly put pictures together on Word. And what do you put in the lookbook? You put your locations that you're thinking of, your potential cast. You've got to be careful there, but think about that too. Your costumes, the feel of it. What do you want people to take home from your movie? But mainly you've got to think about your audience. Who is your audience for your film? And don't say everyone. It's just not true. If it's a comedy, that's not for everyone. Not everyone likes that comedy. If it's a horror, it's not for everyone. It's just not true. Who is your audience? Know who they are. I say at the end of every show. But it's so important. Know your audience. Maybe you're still stuck. Maybe you've done all that and you're still not getting anywhere. Hmm. Maybe shoot a teaser. Think about it. Maybe some friends. Maybe, maybe you can do that. Or maybe you can do a mood reel. Take other people's clips from online. Edit them together. If you can't edit yourself, ask someone. Ask a friend. Or learn. As Poppy Rowe did with Serial Killer's Guide to Life. Learn how to edit. If you want to be a filmmaker in this world, then do everything you can to be that. And if you have to learn other skills around that, great. It'll only help you as a filmmaker anyway. And then how do you meet investors? Because this is a really hard thing. Because without money, you can't make a film. Well, actually, it's not. I lied. You can. You could go out and shoot it on your iPhone. You could go out and shoot it on whatever camera you can get with whatever friends you can get over weekends, over years. If you want, you can make a feature film for nothing, just your time and energy. So you can do it. But if you want to find some high net worth individuals because you feel your script needs more than that, or you as a director want to make another film, you've already done that, then how do you meet them? It's really hard. Sometimes it can be luck. Um, it can be down to sheer hard work. Or... In the case of Nathan Von Minden, who made the Challenger disaster, who was on episode 94, um, he raised all his finance by cold calling. 170 grand uh, he raised by cold calling. He just rang around, kept ringing people like a, uh, like a telly salesperson. Um, so it can be done. Maybe you go to the right events, uh, dressing well, pitching well, all that sort of stuff. Practice, 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 practice. Practice until you sound like you're just telling your mates down the pub. This is my story. This happens. That happens. And then why not? And then why not practice on your mates itself? Because they'll soon tell you, oh, you mean like that film? What happens there? This doesn't make sense. Do it. Do everything you can to be the best person in the room. Um, and then make it so short that you can do that to the Uber driver or to someone in an elevator. Because if you can do that, then you can go in a room. And if you wow them with that, they want to know more. And that's where you want to be. 
But how do you meet people if you're not wealthy? If you, it's hard to go to events and stuff. Well, you can come to our Make Your Film event on the 25th, actually, because that's seven quid now, early bird tickets. Links are in the show notes to that. Do come along. It's brilliant as independent filmmakers if you're in London. Um, but it is hard to go to events and dress well all the time and turn up at these places. But make that your life. Make that all you want to do. Just make it your life's worth. If you want to do this as a job, then as your career then don't sit at home at night and watch Netflix and EastEnders and whatever else you're doing. Sit at home at night and practice your pitch. Write your script. Find some HNIs online. Find some events online and turn up. Make something happen. Make it happen because it's your life and there's only one of you and you need to do something about it. Only you. No one is going to do that for you. Anyway, I could go on for ages about all that, but I just wanted to give you a little taste of there because I want to try and inspire you this week because Alejandro Landers is massively inspiring. And if you do like this, give us a nice review. Go to iTunes and do it. It makes a world of difference to us. So here is the 150th special episode of the Filmmakers Podcast with Alejandro Landers. Enjoy. Hello. Hey, Alejandro. How are you doing, buddy? You all right? Hey, how are you? Can you hear me okay? Yes, how about you? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Now, I know we haven't got much time. Normally, because this is the Filmmakers Podcast, where I'm a filmmaker, we talk about our filmmakers, how they make films, and we go into it for about an hour. And your um, wonderful PR agency said, you've got 20 minutes. I went, do you know what? It's worth it to get Alejandro on, because obviously I love Monos and I wanted to get you on. Even though we're only going to get 20 minutes, I think it's worth it. It's like a special for our listeners. All right, thank you. So, in that time, we have to try and cram it all in. So, first of all, thank you so much for joining us on the Filmmakers Podcast. Honestly, I appreciate your time a lot. Thanks for the invite. Pleasure. So, um, it must have been... Like it's the, the whole sort of wonderfulness that happened with Monos and how it built to being this really cool, you know, cult, you've got to see Monos feeling about it. Um, before we delve into how you made it and your journey to getting there, how did that feel? How did, did you know you had something pretty special on your hands uh, early on? That's tough. Uh, that's tough to answer. I mean, I guess you can't separate your, uh, your feelings from your delusions right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we, we started to feel something really ha- happen when, um, when we had this kind of mock basic training camp up in the mountain before we shot the first frame, we had about 20 or so, um, young people up there going through improv and acting exercises, as well as military and physical drills, trying to create this clandestine army, barefoot formations, dances, and they were going through a, a routine that was grueling and, and at all times together and living in bunks. And, and you start creating this, this, this group energy. And so I think then I, I really got the sense that the way we're going about it was, um, was quite peculiar, you know? And, and so I felt something started to, to really uh, come alive then. I suppose like all filmmakers, you didn't, you didn't expect the sort of success it had. We all hope, but you didn't, ex- you know, you didn't think it was going to be as, as big as it has and travel so far. Well, it was always such a strange beast. You know, uh, it wasn't mm. a, a family drama. It wasn't a Hollywood production. 
Um, it wasn't, and it wasn't classic. It was very hard to classify. So even during the funding process or trying to get people on board, everyone was a bit put off by not knowing what it was, right? And if they did think mm. that they knew what it was, they thought it was way too risky. Um, yes. And also the for the people that work within genre, it wasn't genre enough. And for the people that don't work with genre thought it was too genre, right? And so it mm. was, uh, I think it was, in a film that was in a very peculiar space. So some people thought it was um, horror coming of age or a war film or, or um, some type of fable. I mean, it, and, and it's pretty much all these things in some way, but by not trying to, not allowing anyone to put it in a box also made it very hard for people to, to jump on board. Yeah, I was going to say, you've made two movies before this, one documentary and one feature film, um, uh, Cocalero, and I'm hopefully saying this right, uh, um, Porfirio. Yes. And and yet, you know, like I say, once you've made a movie, people go, oh, it's a little bit easier to get finance for the next one, but that's maybe if you're doing a straight-out horror or a sci-fi. Whereas Monos, it's like you say, is really hard to put a, a, a name to it. What, what genre does it fit in? Where does it fit? So... Yeah, you must have come up against a few issues like the same, the fundraising time when you said, well, look, this is what I want to do. It's kind of a load of kids. Apocalypse now on the top of a mountain. But yet it's not apocalypse now. It's uh, it's thought provoking. It's, you know, all about the human nature and how we can fuck each other up. And yeah, you must have come up against quite a resistance. Yeah, I mean, we we never had a go, a green light to make this film. I mean, what we had was um, we won several different uh, funding prizes in the Netherlands, in Germany, in Colombia, in Argentina. And we won these basically through uh, the screenplay and my previous film. And that gave us kind of the backing between Porfirio and this to be able to win this funding. But that was never enough to really make the film you see now on screen. So I think when we went out to shoot the film, we had we didn't have the money even to shoot. I mean, it was just, we had to because a lot of the prize money we had won, well, uh, it was time sensitive. We we're going to lose those funds and we just needed to go. We just went and, uh, and we wow. just basically um, ended up funding the film as we went along. So we started to show some raw footage and a bit more money came in. Then we saw the first, we showed a first cut and more money came in. And also we got, um, other funds on board to do, for example, the uh, the VFX and things like this. You have money from eight different countries uh, simply because we really had to pass the hat around to be able to uh, to get this going. Right? That's incredible. So you kind of took a huge leap of faith in a way, and you believed in yourself to sort of go. Well, it might not. Ha- I might get to this point and post, and suddenly someone goes, "Yeah, no, we're not going to give you any money." And you've already gone through that really difficult time of shooting it basically yeah that's why it's like don't mm. don't follow this example you know monos is a bit of a frankenstein <laughs> of uh of, of a production and and we just put everything into it i mean i put all my savings into it and 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 we were just scratching and really scraping the bottom of the barrel and and just pushing as hard as we can and um we were really at the limits of what we could do with mind body spirit and checkbook i mean it was really it was really it was all in the line there and you're right it could have been that after all that 
we couldn't have finished it. But uh, but fortunately, the story has a uh, has a happy ending. I'm so, oh, mate, I'm so proud of you, and I'm so happy. I know we, you know, you don't necessarily want to advocate to to go and shoot a film when you haven't got everything in place, but it does work out. You know, if you've got that drive and belief, and your story is great, which it is, uh, I do think that sometimes you have to t- take that leap of faith. Um, let's talk about story then, because you wrote this. Um, what? Where did the idea come from? Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, I co-wrote this with a very talented friend of mine called Alexis Dos Santos, who made a film in the mm-hmm. UK called Unmade Beds, and made a oh, yes. yeah, and made yeah, a great yeah. film uh, before that called Glue. And so I actually wrote the treatment um, of this, and funny enough, the first shot of the film, as well as the last film of the film, is exactly as was written in the treatment. Um, though so much of this changed. And anyway, after having written the treatment, I told Alexis, who I met on the festival circuit, about this idea. And we talked about it. And uh, he said, hey, listen, I really like it. Let me read the treatment. He read it. And he was like, let's do this together. So uh, we started working together and we wrote this. And and uh, I hear a lot of directors say, well, we went into this mad craze and, and wrote it in, in, a, in a week. And that's what you and that's what you shot. Mm. This is, you know, we, we wrote a first draft in maybe um, two, three months. With that, we won uh, Columbia's National Film Fund to finance, um, let's say, the first, the beginning of this. And we won a Dutch film prize. But uh, between that first draft and, and the end, it, there must have been countless amounts of drafts just continuing to work this very... Um, unique point of view because you have you don't have a a let's say single hero to to take you through the story but rather this mm-hmm. sort of uh, almost pinball machine like point of view that's navigating you through this mini society did you always did you always have that in mind when you were originally came up with a concept was that an easy thing for you to to come up with I, I know it sort of came from a dream if you like as far as i could tell um but yeah did you what was your process there when you said i'm just going to write this idea down um it came from a lot of places, you know. It came from uh, it came from a maybe a reaction to my fa- past film that had a single protagonist, a man in his mid fifties, whose um, whose body in a way is prison to his soul because he's he's in this wheelchair and he's very unhappy about his situation, and he's in a country where in a wheelchair it's very hard to to go outside, so he's in he's in at home all the time. And so I, I thought to take the idea of a single protagonist, turn it on its head and have this, this multiple protagonist at, at a very, at an age where your body is in full, like effervescence and movement. And, and, um, and so it was a reaction to that. Also, um, I did actually read some, some very moving manuscripts of people that had been kidnapped in war zones and those, uh, mm. and, and it was very strong because, yes, the higher ups uh, in these groups that held hostages, they would be the ones negotiating the, um, they would be negotiating the kidnapping. But the ones doing the day to day custodianship, the guards, were the lowest rung of the ladder, and many times young soldiers or, or even kids. And so um, it was amazing to read uh, to read those manuscripts of people that had been kidnapped. Some for political reasons, some for economic reasons, and some by simple mistake or by just being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, 
Mm. And so reading these, some some of those manuscripts were very well known and others were were, you know, were just kind of obscure books um, inside and outside of Colombia. And um, yeah, and that that was also like this kind of dystopian Peter Pan situation that I thought was, was very mm-hmm. moving where you have a mirror between um, adolescence and, and war. And I think that's what, what brought Alexis to the table. And he always really enjoyed is the, the idea of taking something as commonplace in cinema as kidnapping, because that's a very commonplace situation. But now telling it from the point of view of the kidnappers who themselves are in a way kidnapped as well. That's fascinating. I mean, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? How when we delve into how we come up with stories or how we find them, and they can we can find them in any place in any form. Um, you have some stunning visuals in this film, absolutely beautiful visual images, and uh, you and your team just created something absolutely incredible. Um, was that something? Did you recce beforehand? You know, did you really think about where your shots were going to be? Um, you know, with uh, Jasper Wolf, who was your cinematographer, did you go out and do quite a bit of time spent out there? Yes, I mean, considering the amount of um, of risks and just challenges, because you have non actors, you have miners, you have Hollywood actors, you have digital effects, special effects, helicopters, underwater animals remote locations because of the amount of, of challenges we had to be as really as prepared as possible so we storyboarded and then the whole thing and then shot listed with jasper and and, and tried to come up with as strong as a mise-en-scene as possible because we had a very stylized mise-en-scene juxtaposed conditions that we couldn't control because you can't control what the weather's like at at thirteen thousand feet up in the air at, a, at the top of a mountain and also in the depth of a jungle canyon, so it was it was tough to um, to re- reconcile those 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 two uh, conditions. Um, but what what I think we really tried to do though was to make a very strong plan. So we visited the places, worked a lot with Jasper, um, created the shot list. But then also allowed ourselves to be surprised when we were there and kind of bring life in and bring the weather in. There were scenes that that we thought would look differently, but in the situations we were there, we would just try to try to bring it in as much as much as we can, surprise ourselves. I mean, ideally, the plan would not be just an execution of what we wanted, but something even better. Um, but in terms of the um, in terms of the beauty, I think. I think what we were trying to do was um, really make sure that whatever you saw in the physical world was a manifestation of, of, of the interior life of the characters, right? Not just create some mm. type of postcard situation, but rather, for example, in the mountain, there's an idea of a, of a beginning. There's still a certain innocence. There's a, still an idea of this group. And you have a notion of scale. You have a notion of who you are in the world. Um, once you start going into Jungle Canyon under the under the under the green canopy, you start losing scale. The view starts getting distorted, fragmented, and so naturally, that's what happens when the group starts to disintegrate. And the notion of of who you are in in, in this vastness that is our world will starts getting a little a little lost. And so um, that arc was always something uh, Jasper and I talked about, and we very much worked on to make sure that that. That beauty you see uh, is not something just stands on its own, but rather 
it juxtaposes what, or it actually just no, represents what uh, what the characters are feeling uh, inside, right? Um, I, I, I think that that is, uh, that is key. And the other thing is that in these books um, that I'm, I'm telling you that I read and, and, I, and I shared with Alexis and we, we used this research, it was amazing. Uh, people that had been kidnapped in Colombia in these incredibly remote locations talk about how I am in the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. It is so beautiful. It makes me think, wow, there is a creator. There is a God because this is just way too perfect to exist on its own. Um, mm -hmm. But this is my prison. This is my hell. And so that concept uh, was, was very strong. And that's something we also tried to, to, to work on, that dichotomy between um, hell and paradise. Which you have stunningly and it is beautiful for those who haven't seen it yet i i am envious because you're gonna love this movie um what about working with actors then because you had a lot of kids a lot of young people who maybe not been on screen before and there's a lot going on there's guns there's action there's you know huge sort of set pieces plus there's romance in there how did you get these young actors to work so well really the foundations of that are are about Four or five weeks before we started shooting, what we did was out of the 800 um, young people we saw throughout all of Colombia, on the street, in schools, online, acting workshops, we chose about um, 20 or so, brought them up uh, to this mountain camp and went through this these exercises in the morning, acting and improv, they did acting from pieces of the screenplay without knowing it was the screenplay. They thought it was just random scenes. Um, also, in the afternoon, we had a sort of military consultant, uh, a guy that had formerly been in one of Colombia's guerrilla armies and had deserted, um, run them through drills. Now, it wasn't your regular kind of full metal jacket wow. military boot stomping because they had to be a rebel army, a clandestine army, right? They don't go around screaming. They don't mm -hmm. go around screaming and yelling because they have to be uh, very, uh, very quiet and very stealthy. And so uh, they went through these remarkable, grueling drills being woken up every morning at five um, by this drill sergeant we had. And so they went through this every day for about two, three weeks and you started to see what you would see in an office or in a schoolyard, which is uh, who likes who, who doesn't like who, where there's chemistry, where there isn't, what could work. And out of those mm -hmm. 20 or so in, in this kind of peculiar big brother experiment, we ended up choosing the eight that would be the monos. And, um, and we wrote the wow. screenplay in that, in that moment, thinking of the, um, thinking of the, um, the dialogue that we heard coming from their mouth, uh, making sure that the mm -hmm. chemistry we wanted on the page existed off the page as well. Um, and, yeah. and, and, that really, and that really was the foundation of Monos, that, that experience. And, and in Moises Arias, who, um, who was the only, let's say, experienced actor of the group, he's, uh, mm -hmm. he's been acting since he did uh, Rico Suave from Hannah Montana. He's a Disney kid. 
Yeah, yeah. a long uh, time ago. And he's in the Ender's Game and Natural Libra exactly. now. Yeah, well, then. He's, uh, Monos is now his biggest, biggest yes, film. <laughs> exactly. And he, he did an amazing job. And he went through this exact same, uh, exact same sort of uh, boot camp experience. And wow. he went through the whole thing. And in fact, um, there was a moment because up there in the mountain, there wasn't really any internet. But there was a moment one of the kids found out who he was. And there was a little... Mm-hmm stardom for a couple days but then everyone forgot and he was just one more of the of the pack and that that really worked well like that that's great um did you shoot all in one go did you kind of do like you mentioned there about we we showed some bits and, and then we got a bit more funding but did you shoot the bulk of the movie in one sort of long three four week shoot up in there the mountains? was no reshoots there wasn't a single reshoot no. uh we did all in one single go because i mean the idea of getting these kids each coming from such a different place and different story mm. uh plus uh the team we had from so many different countries um the situation and remember the kids they changed so fast i remember i tried to do some uh, some voice work with smurf just a few months later. his <laughs> voice had changed completely they're going uh, through puberty and their their voice is changing their body's changing so even if i wanted to reshoot a year later it might have even been tough uh because even the voice work was already a challenge um but anyway yeah we we had to there wasn't there wasn't room for any of that we did it in one go we did uh four weeks in the mountain and another four weeks in the jungle see see i love that i love the fact that you went no no we just we have to get as much as we can and you're right kids grow up soon it happened to me on one of my features kids grow up what do you do you know you've got to shoot around that if you've got to do pickups but unless you're like no no we we can't i don't want to so now you've got your film um, and you've taken it into sort of post-production and now you're adding in all your effects and your CGI and your, all these bits and pieces. Um, like I say, did, did you work that process through at that point by keep raising more finance to push to the right people or were they now people massively getting involved? And I want to talk about distribution real quick. Um, no, I mean, the editing process was also something we struggled with. Uh, money trickled in, but... It was tough. I mean, it was tough because it was also a tough film to get right in the in the edit room because it's a film that doesn't have a conventional point of view. Um, and by conventional, I don't mean to criticize that. I'm just saying that generally we see films that 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 have mm-hmm. uh, a very clear idea of who's the person taking us through the story. Right? The idea of this yeah. ensemble mm-hmm. is tougher to to really um, to really feel right to make work and also the film has um one side that appeals to kind of a a logical narrative let's say which is you know you have a kidnapping situation you have kids on a mission within a world but you also have something that is uh, that appeals to something more dreamlike right more subconscious mm, and so yeah. i think to make both things work where the film is really playing with your senses in a dreamlike way but also appealing to the kind of logical narrative you expect of film was something that we really had to to make work right uh push mm-hmm. I, I almost i always had this metaphor of like you know you want to want the film to feel like a kite but you need it to have a string so people know so people can hold on to it you know uh, yeah. and so that 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 took a while to work in the edit uh because a lot of people were were so taken with the I remember at the beginning with the first drafts, with, with the experience, with the images, with, with the thing, but sometimes you weren't inside. You need to be inside the river. You know, you need to, you need the film to take you 
mm. like like that river. And that was our big uh, our big metaphor during the edit, which was the river. You know that opening sequence in the mountains. That ecosystem is actually a big reservoir of the nation's water. It's called a paramo, and that water trickles down the mountain, uh, losing its translucency, gaining more speed, and ends up in the big torrents of water you see at the end of the film. And so, and then that, of course, and that water in the lowlands condensates, comes up to the clouds, and comes down again. So full, full circle, kind of like the nature, yeah. the cyclical nature of violence. So we had this kind of water metaphor. We wanted the film to feel like you this winding river that changes speeds and ends up in these torrents. And, and so it was a beautiful idea, but to make it work in the edit took some time. I can imagine. Yeah, it, it just must have, because you could have gone any direction with it. You could have uh, gone against your thought process and gone, no, we are going to follow this character. Or someone could have made you, you know, a sales agent distributor might have wanted you to push in the direction. Uh, and I'm glad you stuck to what you wanted. Um, th- let's talk about the sales and distribution side of it then. Uh, during that time, did you have someone involved already? Did you already have a team in place who were going to take this on? Or did you have to find them once you'd made the film? Basically, we had... Um Le Pacte from France, Jean Labadie of Le Pacte, who's an institution and a great cinephile. Um, he came on board from screenplay stage as the world's agent and the French right. distributor. That was one of our uh, important pieces. And so he would fly over from Paris to the edit room, come give us his notes, um, and he would and he would leave, smoke of a lot of cigarettes in between. <laughs> um, and he's a, you know, he's a great, he's a, he's a real film lover. And so he was, uh, he was involved in the process, mm. but we did not have, other than our co-production countries, we did not have a guaranteed distribution anywhere. In fact, um, it was a very big night for us when we premiered at Sundance that uh, I think it was about a nine o'clock show. And then by two in the morning, we had sold to the United States and then, UK and Australia and things started to really snowball from there. And I think the film is in about 40 territories now in terms of a theatrical release. Wow. Yeah. How, yeah. Huge. How did that feel then? That Sundance moment? People talk about this Sundance moment, like it's a myth, like it's a legend. It happened to films years ago. And yet this year uh, and last year was just huge for numbers. And, and uh, you know, how did that feel for you? Did you expect that? I think we really wanted that to happen and we had big expectations and the room, mm. uh, the reaction in the room to the film was rather electric. And um, I think it ended up in very good hands with Neon and uh, Picture House has done a great job in the UK. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been really exciting. Um, and it's opening in, in France in a couple of weeks in Spain and then Italy and then Australia shortly there afterwards. And, and it's, you know, every country has reacted and worked in a different way, but it's been very exciting to see such disparate people from Colombia, where it was a sensation, to Eastern Europe, where it's kind of won the major film awards out there. It's been very interesting how such different people have made it their own. You know, some people as almost a fantasy film. In fact, it's been invited to a lot of fantasy film festivals. Others as something that is almost documentary-like. Yeah, no, that, that must make you feel really great they the the audiences put their own mind onto your film they take what they want from it and i think as filmmakers that's what we all want and 
<laughs> yeah. So congratulations, honestly. What really well done, and it's a delight now that everyone can see it. So um, uh, yeah, really, really huge achievement. And what you're going to take? Final question into your next film that you learnt from Monos, because I know I, I believe you've just uh, signed a deal for a new film. But um, what you're going to take from uh, Monos into your new film? I think it's a. I think what you need to, well, what I most learned is, is to not know, to be okay with not knowing, to be okay with making that leap into that unknown, that you don't know where you're going to end up exactly, and that it's best if you don't know, because that is where the originality comes from. If you know exactly what it is and exactly where you want to be from the outset, there's very, very little discovery in the process. I think that there's got to be that that resistance, that kind of that being okay with not knowing, that limbo, if you will. And, and I think that um, I know you got to sell. I know you have to project as much confidence as possible. And, and there's a lot of confidence in the not knowing. But I think there's also just very rich process because I certainly don't film because I have a message. I film because I want to be part of a conversation. And that conversation, you want to leave it in a different place from where you started it. That's so amazing to hear. Um, Alejandro, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. And best of luck and congratulations. Thank you. And thanks for the invite. Oh, my absolute delight. Cheers, buddy. Bye. Cheers. Well, that was Alejandro. What a treat that was. Um, he's just brilliant, eloquent, full of knowledge and yeah so inspiring um and you can do exactly what he's done there's no reason why you can't be inspired raise that money yourself whether it's kickstart or whatever it is go and do it um just fascinating i found the whole story is you know casting the kids how he rehearsed that's really interesting you can take away so much from that how he wrote the film how he co-wrote it and the fact that he had no reshoots for this film set on a mountaintop in you know in this jungle looking place i mean wow Wow. Uh, and the whole post-process and then winning at Sundance. And I absolutely adored his quote, make it like a river. That's how we should make our scripts and our films from now on. Let's make it like a river. It keeps flowing. Uh, and it makes you want to dip your hand in. So, uh, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, do us a massive favour. Go to your podcast device now and it's probably... Uh, Apple is probably the best one for this and do put, click five stars just do it and why not write I really enjoyed this and go onto our Twitter at FilmmakersPod and say hello and just go on and say thank you for we for us the Filmmakers Podcast giving you 150 episodes of absolute gold there is so much gold I can't wait for the book that I'm going to bring out at some point with all these amazing people with quotes <laughs> Um, do remember the dare uh, is available from March the 3rd and you can pre-order it now I will be shouting that for the next few months so apologies but why not we've been talking about it long enough and now it is here if you're in the US you can watch it from March the 3rd pre-order now link is in the show notes okay until next Tuesday well actually this Tuesday where you get the fantastic director and co-writer and co-creator of Ren, The Girl with the Mark, the web series that had over 50 million hits. She is joining us on Tuesday. So we will see you then. I cannot wait. Be inspired. Um, remember who your audience is. 
go out there and make your film. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday. As always, if you're lucky, a special Friday episode. Uh, thank you, Alejandro. Thank you, everyone at DDAPR for setting this up. We will see you. Take care, everyone. Be inspired. Make your film. Bye-bye.